Hi, this is Karis, and welcome to the Launch School podcast. We have an interesting episode lined up for you today. First off, Chris and I will be discussing some important topics, most notably Launch School's 2021 capstone salaries and the potential recession on the horizon. Then I'll be catching up with some of our youngest students here at Launch School, and they'll be sharing why they chose to study with us instead of taking a more traditional schooling approach. And finally, I'll close out the episode with some upcoming events you should be aware of. And everything that we'll talk about today can be found in the show notes. So let's kick this episode off with our discussion with Chris. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Hey, great. Glad to get another episode in there. We've yeah. been uh, we've been not been as consistent as we would like, but that's my <laughs> fault. Uh, we're here now. Yes, fantastic. So um, just getting our discussion, I've heard that the 2021 capstone salaries have just been announced. And I was wondering if you could share with us some of your insights that you've seen on them so far. Yeah, sure. Um, so I just actually tweeted it. I know it's not most the most official channel, but um, I haven't had a chance to update the website yet. We'll probably mm-hmm. do that next week. But the numbers look really strong. I know uh, we're going to talk about the recession later, but I've been getting a lot of questions, DMs about, hey, here's this you know, downturn. What do you think? How it's going to affect the numbers? Yes. Numbers look really good. You know, I'll just continue to share data that I have as opposed to you know try to make projections into the future. Uh, numbers looked super, super strong. And as far as trends go, I think we've already seen this, my numbers for 2020, it was like 50% remote or something like that, which was already pretty high. You know, we're at 74% of our capstone accepted offers are remote, 74% are remote. Wow. Yeah. With an average of 125,000. Wow. That's incredible. And that's, these are U.S. numbers, I should say. So in is 58. So 58 U.S. graduates, Mm -hmm. uh, capstone graduates, average of 125, median of 122. And of course, our durations, you know, super short, 6.5 weeks on average to uh, from job hunt to accepted offer. Yes. And which yes. actually means a lot of people don't realize this, but there's actually like a week to even sometimes two weeks of delay between when you get the offer and you accept the offer. Right. So a 6.5 week accepted offer, that means you got the offer week five. And if you got the offer week five, and how long is the interview process? Like three weeks, you know? And so yeah. th- these are engagements that you find like in the first two weeks of your job hunt. Yeah, that that is those numbers are wow, they're amazing. You know, one thing I said in the tweet, one of the comments I, that I added later on was to say that I think I, I want to move away from saying placement numbers, like right. our placement percentage. We've been saying hundred percent, getting some pushback because people are like, "How could that be hundred percent?" And like the numbers now are not a hundred, but they can be actually over a hundred, depending on how you slice it. So I'll just mm-hmm. mention numbers real quick: seventy-two in total, uh, all of twenty twenty-one. 72 people entered capstone, mm-hmm. 70 people finished and 69 people accepted. So yeah. what is the right percentage number to show? And by the way, we have two people on the job hunt currently interviewing still because they're on delayed schedules. Sure. And this could end up being 72 enter capstone, 70 people finish and 71 people accept offers. Like we can have that number where we can even have an over 100% placement rate if we take the number of accepted over the number finished. Right. Right. So this is just 
placement numbers can just be gamed a lot of different ways. And mm-hmm. so that's why I, I kind of want to move away from it just because I just want to show numbers and you can decide whatever percentage matters to you and we'll provide the context, right? That's very true. Yeah, I understand. And you're right. Percentages could mean anything, and but numbers are numbers. That's the most important. Yeah, like how a lot of training programs game it is, they'll say something like 100 people enter a program and then 40 people will drop out. Mm. So 60 people will finish the program. Yes. And then of that 60, 40 will then get jobs. 67%, right? They'll, they'll, they'll take that. That's our placement rate. But, mm-hmm. you know, 100 people entered. So mm-hmm. it could also be said that it's like 40% placement rate as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, 67% placement rate. So there's, there's sort of a discussion as to like what number should you show, right? Yes. And also you can gain that percentage a lot of different ways by saying, for example, not allowing people to finish when they're not doing well. So you admit 100 people into your program and then just start weeding people out for a variety of reasons. And let's say like 20 people end up finishing. And so of the 20, 19 get jobs. So then you have this really high placement rate uh, that you can put on the website, but then 19 people out of 100 actually finish from the very beginning. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. It's hard to always look at a, placement percent and know what that number represents if what you're saying is well what are my chances of landing Mm -hmm. a role Mm -hmm. furthermore there's another variable that i think sort of education institutions can play with which is the duration right yeah so if i say the placement percentage includes six months of job hunt that will give me a different data than if i say includes 12 months of job hunt Mm -hmm. or if it includes three months of job hunt, right? Because these are just different numbers. I think the industry has standardized on six months of job hunt, which mm-hmm. in my opinion, it's a super long time. If yeah. your coding bootcamp is three months long, to me, that is almost too long. So again, there's a lot of variables that you can play with to present yeah. a placement percent that maximizes sort of like what you can put on a marketing brochure. Right, right. I understand. Or even like on the homepage of a website. Mm -hmm. That's why I kind of want to move away from it, just because I think people naturally are suspicious of these placement percentages, whether it's high or low, right? It's just like, how are you getting these numbers? And people want to drill down into it. And like our council numbers, we have nothing to hide, you know, like we're we're doing a hard thing. And if you look at, especially the duration, I think it's Mm -hmm. not even the salaries that I think are most interesting for logical capstone salaries. I think it's the duration. Yeah. I mean, weeks. That's that's unbelievable. <laughs> People are getting jobs very, very fast, very high paying jobs, very fast. And that speaks to how we think about training, right? And we want to front load learning. And so that when you go to the job hunt, you can get a job faster mm. versus let's say if you have a three month boot camp with a six month job hunt, you're learning, you can learn a lot on a job hunt too, right? Yeah. So you add those two things together, it's like a nine month thing, right? Yes. And I, I think if you want to count the job hunt as part of your learning sequence, that's mm-hmm. almost that's almost like blurring the lines a little bit, right? Uh, in, in my yeah. opinion, right? Yeah. So having such a long job hunt, I think you can make the numbers look as good as you want, right? Sure. You can just keep adding that to twelve months, to eighteen months. So like ninety percent of our grads get a job after eighteen months. Well. I don't know. You can have like a one week training program, right? Instead of a three month bootcamp, you can be like, I have a one week coding bootcamp and I can get you a great job. But the, 
but how we measure it is an 18 month job hunt. Yeah. You can just play around with these numbers so much to the point where people become very distrustful of them yes, because they yeah. know that you're playing around with them, which is why I feel like I just don't want to play around with that anymore. Right. I don't want to, sure. uh, we've been sure. saying hundred percent. I mean, if, if our remaining two people get jobs, we can say over hundred percent, which is silly. You know, I'd rather just show numbers, I think. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I can see why that you would switch to this format now. Um, it's far more transparent and that's launch school's game at the end of the day, which is to always be upfront. And that's what I've noticed. Everything is always out in the open for you to see. And then you get to decide if that's what you want. Yeah, absolutely. My, my whole philosophy has been from the start, like, I'd rather just stop doing this Yeah. if, yeah. if we're going to get into that, that business. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and obviously we haven't had the need to do that because we front load, we front load the rigor, you know, and mm-hmm. we front load the work. And that's why when people hit the market, they do really well. And there's no trick here. Like once they go on the job, they're at work for many months. I just get a constant stream of messages saying, Hey, I'm getting accolades at work. (laughs) My team lead can't believe that I can do what I can do. That must feel pretty great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just, this is why, this is why, you know, I I don't, you ask me or burnout, whatever. I just have zero burnout just because I get a constant stream of affirmations and and validations Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of those things, again, um, it's not just a short duration to getting a job, but then people are doing great at their work, at their job. Yeah. Wow. Um, thank you so much for your insight on the um, capstone salaries. I just, I've learned like so much in that one little conversation. Um, but I also wanted to ask you as well, I've heard in the news that there has been some major company layoffs and, and talk of a recession looming. And I just also wanted to know your thoughts on this. And if you had any advice for the students that might find this information a little concerning. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting because we've been in nothing but a bull run for like a decade. And yeah. for many even very experienced software engineers, they've yet to see a downturn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have all these people career transitioning into tech because this is where the action is, this is where the money is, this is where the yeah. growth is. And obviously everyone can see this is, you know, software is eating the world, right? Like that's the, that's the saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have a downturn in software is kind of alarming. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I thought I was coming over here to, to get away from the downturn, but, uh-huh. um, but recessions are, are going to impact every sector of the economy. So tech is not going to be absolutely immune to it. Yes. In my career, I've seen two recessions. So I graduated in 2002 and I was a software engineer at IBM straight out of college doing like enterprise Java. It was such an odd experience because on the one hand, there was obviously a lot of money flowing around still, you know, like Mm -hmm. for example, I was sent to Europe to attend like all these conferences, talk to IBM customers. But on the other hand, people were being laid off, right? What I saw was a lot of people that were laid off had spent a lot of time at the company and they had a lot of institutional knowledge, Mm. but their skills and knowledge didn't transcend the company. Um, So I think the first thing I, I say from that observation is invest in industry knowledge, invest in knowledge that you can transfer, uh, mm-hmm. not tied to any one company, right? Yes. That would probably be my advice. Don't invest in like pr- pr- proprietary technology. This is why for launch school, we don't use any proprietary technology. It's all open source. 
Right. That's right. That's been sort of a very important value that we stick to. Like if we yes. just only cared about salary, then that, right. that was it. I mean, maybe we should train people to become like Salesforce developers or, you know, SAP developers or yeah. something like that, right? Right. But I don't want people tied to like any any proprietary technology just for that reason. Because mm-hmm. I saw what it was like when you're stuck within one ecosystem and you can't move out of it. You don't have the skills, the foundational skills to shift out of that. Sure. Uh, you're, you're just kind of trapped there. So I think number one is invest in yourself, but like watch for what you're investing in, right? Yes. And even if there's like short-term money, be careful. Mm-hmm. I would just say, be careful. Um, mm-hmm. My advice is again, popular open source tools. Sure, sure. That, that's really interesting. Very good advice, like a zoomed out perspective. Thank you for that. And there have been some students that have actually written into the podcast and they specifically wondered if the recession will affect the job market specifically for launch school graduates. Yeah, it could. I mean, you know, our, when I started launch school, I don't know that I had any salary number in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I was thinking 125, you know, um, <laughs> And if you had told me that, that we can produce graduates consistently that can compete for an average of 125, I would maybe say that would be the optimistic goal. Uh, I mean, we'll always aim for that 90th percentile, you know, Mm. um, in in terms of salary, whether that's 125 today and whether that's, you know, 110 tomorrow or 95 the next day. Mm -hmm. I think we're always going to do sort of aim at that percentile. Um, So at the macro level, in the short term, sure, I, there could be some volatility. Uh, sure. But I think the perspective that like, if you're going to transition to tech, and this is why we say like launch goals only only make sense, like if you have a long-term perspective, if you're here for, you know, if you're here for the money and and then like, you know, if it doesn't, if, it, if tech goes sour, I'm going to go, go be a real estate agent or, you know, I'm going to go do something else. Mm-hmm. Then it's hard. It, it's mm-hmm. hard to like try to find the, the local maxima all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're for the long term, tech always bounces back really, really fast. You know, I have friends who are civil engineers or doing real estate. The downturn in 2008 really hit them hard. Wow. And they, I mean, I don't think they recovered for, you know, eight years or something like that. It was such wow. a long time for tech. I mean, tech was back in like a year and a half mm-hmm. and in two years. So I would just say, like, use this opportunity as an investment opportunity in yourself so that you're ready for the the rebound. You know, you yeah. have the skills that so you're ready. It's a great time. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a student at launch school and there's just like no better time than now to, to be learning and to be yeah. investing yourself. It's like, it's actually harder when the markets are good, you know, cause you're like, Oh, yeah. the opportunity cost of my going to some random tech job is pretty, sure. pretty high. Cause I can yeah. just get a pretty high paying job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think during a recession, actually, the opportunity cost is lower. Yes. And yeah. so it's time to invest yourself. And tech yeah. bounces back. And, and again, in that year and a half, two years. And I know it never feels that way, but it yeah. always does. It always yeah. does. Right. That, that is such a great point about the idea that seize the moment. This is the opportunity to study. This is this is the time. Yeah. The long arc of like software dominating the world is just beginning, I think. I mean, if you if you think differently, then yes, you should leave. So you should go do something <laughs> else. But 
I, I can't see anything else as dominant as learning, you know, programming skills and learning software mm-hmm. skills mm-hmm. for the rest of our lives. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a trend that is not five years or decades. I think it's going to be a hundred years or hundreds of years where this is one of those massive societal changes that we are living through. And I think software skills will be, will be here for the rest of all our lives. Yes. So I don't think you have to worry about that part. Mm-hmm. The key is, I think, again, investing in fundamentals, investing not in short-term, and I'll throw in proprietary technologies in there, short-term, you know, even if it lands you a high-paying job, mm-hmm. I would still say that's not safe, mm-hmm. right? If you want mm-hmm. to be recession-proof, fundamentals. Yes. Right. And I think it's, I mentioned this, I gave a talk on how to navigate a recession for software engineers a while back. And because uh, I thought it was going to happen sooner, right? When COVID first hit. Right. Uh, so I did this like a year and a half ago or two years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, and it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it looks like it might happen now. So mm-hmm. it's sort of the same advice. Launch goals built for this. You know, like I feel like we've been very conservative with everything in launch school from over-preparing people to not leading with marketing and not hyping and trying to like under-promise and over-deliver. And I think part of that is because I I went through two recessions. I mean, I graduated into a recession and it was terrible. It was hard. And so I think my overall advice is, and I always say like, if you're at launch school and you're taking their time to learn things well, try to enjoy it. it it's so mm-hmm. high anxiety. We're doing such a weird thing here, and, yeah. but try to learn and work out of enthusiasm as opposed to out of fear. Mm. And same thing with navigating a recession. Like there's so much opportunity on the other side and you just have to know it's coming and mm-hmm. get ready for it instead of yeah. being fearful about it. Like you know, it's like surfing. It's like the wave is coming, you know, just get ready for it. Prepare <laughs> yeah. yourself. That's true. That's very true. Um, it's, again, another great point about just being able to say, yeah, you know, it's coming and to be able to embrace it, but in the best way by learning the fundamentals and just enjoying study. That's that's great. So another student asked if there are any plans to increase the cost of core or capstone due to the recession. Nope. Nope. There's not. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great news. <laughs> Yeah, we're doing really well. I mean, look, we've been profitable since day one. There was one year where we lost money, but that was like almost intentional (laughs) because we spent a year basically building launch goal and not trying to sell our other courses that we had before. Um, But that was the only year and that was again intentional. There's There's no plans like that to raise prices because of the recession. I was gonna say maybe we'll raise prices because of other things, but I don't I can't even think of other reasons. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not on my mind at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, decreasing prices is. Yeah. <laughs> how do I decrease prices? <laughs> yeah, it's not. I'm not trying to think about how to increase prices. Yeah. Okay. No, um, that's very, very good news, especially for those who might have been a bit concerned about that. But yeah, I have more questions from other students that are more interested in learning about Capstone. So somebody asked, as the number of students enrolling in Capstone increases, what is the likelihood that admission process becomes more stringent down the line than it is today? So for example, this student wanted to do Capstone in 2023. 
I don't see any changes for 2023. I mean, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen in 2024, or 2025, etc. But I don't anticipate any changes. Our admissions percentage continues to be extremely high, over 90%. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, look, you should know where you stand well before uh, nearing the end of the core curriculum. And if you're not sure, just ask. Right. You know, we just look for a few very, very obvious things. One is performance in core curriculum, mm-hmm. right? You get a lot of feedback on that. Two yes. is we look for kind, generous, professional people, no behavioral problems, mm-hmm. right? People that our staff and other capstone participants will enjoy working with. Right. Um, yes. So certainly there's a little bit of subjectivity there, but yep. you know, that's that's what we look for. And three is just no severe abnormal personal situations. Like you're going to travel the world while working on capstone. I get that sometimes. And we, we don't want that, right? Right, so, sure. Um in general, if you are, if none of those things apply to you, we're going to accept you, right? Um, mm-hmm. And if you've been getting a bunch of not yet or things like that, and you are, are sort of worried about that, then talk to me. I'll, I'll kind of give you my honest assessment and where you can improve. But yeah, admissions is continues to be high. We're, we're you know, for like the fall cohort, we're going to do admissions. And I was just looking at the list, and I think it's going to be over ninety percent again. In fact, I'm confident it's going to be over ninety percent, right? Yeah. Um, so admissions rate continues to be. Very high. And I don't Mm -hmm. really see that changing. The cohort numbers are getting larger. Mm -hmm. Um, We have beefed up our capstone staff. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've introduced more and better processes. And it's my opinion that capstone, as it grows in number, is actually getting better. Sure. Yeah. Oh, great. That's good news. Another student also asked about Capstone in general, so they wanted to know more about what it looked like in detail. What does instructor-led mean? And how do teams narrow down the project that they want to build? Mm, Wow, these are tough questions. (laughs) Um, So instructor-led, probably synchronous is a better term than instructor-led. So there's going to be a daily schedule, right? So from every day, you'll know what to do. And there's going to be a different daily cadence depending on the phase of Capstone. So Mm -hmm. just as an example, the first two weeks of Capstone, we cover data structures and algorithms. And sort of the daily cadence there is the first hour or two, we will review exercises that you do from the day before. Mm -hmm. And then the next second half of the day, we'll cover a new topic and then assign you homework to do as a group sure. and individually. Yes. Right. And then the next day, we kind of repeat that and it just mm-hmm. keeps going. Mm-hmm. And so system design will have a slightly different daily cadence than algorithm data structures, but kind of roughly something along that, like 8 to mm-hmm. 5 p.m. Pacific time, you know, 8 to noon kind of lecture, maybe afternoon, a little bit of lab and group work, and then some individual homework. Okay. And then weeks five through eight, yet yeah, has a different flavor because we're doing the capstone ideation process uh, while there's a full stack component. Mm-hmm. So a big part of capstone, just like in the core curriculum, I think there's a meta skill of like learning how to learn, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a meta skill of like respecting competency, respecting mastery, that type of thing. Yeah. In capstone, I think there's a meta skill of mm-hmm. just-in-time learning and how mm-hmm. do you approach that and unstructured, ambiguous. So the second part of the question was how do the capstone projects come about? And it's very, very research-oriented, very ambiguous. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There are guidelines and rules that we give you. There are mentors that we give you and we talk to you a lot. But at the end of the day, it's your ability to bring order from chaos, from unstructured data. You bring structure and schema to it, yes. right? That's hard. That's really yeah. hard. Yeah, um, for sure. So it's like synthesizing lots of lots of different research and just kind of bringing a narrative to it. And that takes time. You get assigned to a capstone mentor. Uh, Mm -hmm. These are all, you know, working software engineers. These are our alumni. This is another great thing about having just such a great program is that we have great alumni, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and so I don't know of any other program where you can have, you know, working software engineers that uh, amazing companies come and like kind of mentor you, right? Like kind of guide you through. So yeah, yeah, so we have our capstone staff and we also have project mentors. Honestly, I feel really, really good and really proud about what we have and what we've built. I think everybody looks back on this and just is proud of the work and proud of the effort. All our grads, for the most part, express this like deep gratitude afterwards. Yeah. yeah. And I mm-hmm. um, and I think it's, they look back on the, their journey and it's just like, they did something that they would never have thought of, right? Yeah. They didn't think they could do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's a great salary attached to it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a bonus. <laughs> Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, Thank you so much for your insights on Capstone, on the recession, and the Capstone salaries from 2021. Is there any last um, uh, things that you'd like to add? Yeah, hopefully I'll get those salary numbers on our webpage. If not, then posted the, the tweet link on our Reddit community. So you can find it there. So reddit.com slash r slash launch school. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. And that concludes the discussion with Chris. Now, most students at Launch School are adult learners, but that hasn't stopped college and even high school age students from attending. Our first guest, Ethan, is 20 years old, who left college and has now joined Launch School, where he is excelling in the core curriculum. Today, we'll be learning about how Ethan made the transition from college to Launch School and the success he has found since. Hi, Ethan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good today, Karis. How are you? I am very well, thanks. It's good to have you on the show. Um, so I have some questions here. My first one is, what originally drew you to software engineering? Yeah, sounds good. So my entryway into software engineering goes all the way back to seventh grade for me, which I guess is quite young. And at that point, I was a little interested in making like iOS applications Mm -hmm. uh, for a few school projects. I don't know. It seemed really cool to me at the time, I guess, like like just having an app on the app store. It was just cool. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I was like, all right, I'm just going to do this for a couple school projects. And I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the creative process involved with it. But once the applications became a bit more than simple, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of difficulty moving forward and I ended up getting quite frustrated at the time. So like after a few months of that, just kind of messing around, I ended up quitting and I would re-enter the world of software engineering in my junior year of high school, where I took a computer science class that was like taught in Java. And the class itself wasn't honestly the best. It was all right. It was like a little mundane, but it did sort of like reignite my, I guess, fuel to get back sure. into software engineering. Then when college admissions came around, they, I guess they kind of want you to choose something. So 
I went wow. ahead and was like, all right, computer science it is. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, that that's what got me into it initially. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. It's always nice to hear how you found um, software engineering and, and what drew you to it in the first place. So everybody has their own stories. That's really great. So how old were you? You began college when you were 18, 17? Yeah. So yeah, I was 18. I mean, yeah. sort of like the traditional route, right? When I got out of high school. Right. Straight there. right. So if you could walk me through this a bit, you're in college and you're going through your first semester. How did you go from your first year in college to then studying at launch school? Yeah, I think of that time period in my life as being very dense because like that period of starting college and getting to launch school, like it felt like so much happened. So yeah, I was I was going to Northeastern to get a computer science degree and I didn't have many gen eds at the time. So mm-hmm. like I was already taking computer science classes and I mean, frankly, math classes, which is kind of overlaps with computer science. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did enjoy some of the classes I was taking, particularly like some of the fundamental programming classes, honestly. It was just, it felt like a bit of a fire hose. And it just, it was hard for me to really have any time to go into depth in any one area. So like, right. I kind of felt like my mind was just being stripped in many areas. Right. And I don't know. The system just felt like it was trapping me a little bit at the sure. time, sure. Um, even just in the first semester. And you know, I'm sure there there could have been things I could have done maybe to mitigate that. R- regardless, it just I didn't really feel like fully aligned with the system. And you know, there were just mm-hmm. other problems like in my life that sort of resulted from that. Absolutely. And I ended up deciding early on in my second semester that I would leave. And it was like a pretty abrupt decision, probably like the strongest revelation I ever had in my life. I was like, why am I, why am I paying many, like tens of thousands of dollars to do something that I don't even really know if I want to do for free? It was, it was kind of like a simple realization, but when you're trapped in a system like that mm. and you, you can become sort of nearsighted, and I think that's what happened to me. That's well, that's really perceptive of you. I mean, um, at least for me, I only realized that after college, after the degree, and it's just like, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> but that is so great of you to, to be able to have that insight just before you begin. That's amazing. It's it, it, yeah. And I mean, it, it's definitely tougher to have that insight than like, I'm sort of making it out to be in hindsight. Cause like in hindsight now I'm like, oh, that was probably the best decision I made. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of people stick it out, whether it's because of like a sunk cost fallacy where they just feel like they, they started something and you know, you have to finish it yes, yes. And, and all that for me, I'd only done a fir- one semester. So it wasn't that big of a deal. I was just, sure. you know, scrapping that. But like, I think it is hard for people to leave situations, even if they're not working for them. That's just where some self-reflection comes in. For me, it wasn't, I was dealing with some like pretty gnarly stuff, honestly. So it wasn't super hard for me, but I'm sort of glad that happened because I learned a lot about myself. And I also learned why I like launch school, like a lot, a lot more. Yeah. But anyways, so I left college, like I said, early in the second semester. And immediately after that, it wasn't like I was like unmotivated to do computer science. I didn't feel like, oh, this field isn't right for me or anything like that. Like I I didn't want to transfer to another college. Like I was basically like on a mission to self-teach computer science in some way. I was like, I'll buy a ton of textbooks. I'll create my own curriculum, whatever. I'm going to make it work. Mm -hmm. Now I ended up, you know, 
at that time, like I'm just doing a lot of research, trying to figure out what other people in a similar situation to me have done. Mm-hmm. And I came across a former alumnus of launch school, Tanner, Tanner yes. Allard. I hope I didn't butcher his name, but um, he wrote a really great article that he published on Hacker Noon. I think it was titled like how I went from student dropout to software engineer. Sure. And of course that title caught my attention at the time because mm-hmm. that was exactly what I was trying to do. Yes. And uh, he kind of compared some various options on there and he discussed how self-teaching might not work perfectly because you're not receiving like a lot of feedback right. and, yes. and, you know, you just don't have like assessments. So you, it's really hard to like self-evaluate when you're like trying to learn something that you don't even know what the standard is for. Yeah. So I took that article to heart and then that's how I discovered launch school. And then I just, I mean, I consumed just like everything launch school had in the (laughs) next month, basically read all their pages, listened to all the podcast episodes that exist at the time. And I was pretty set on it. Like after not too long, it just seemed like it would fit me pretty well. Yeah. Oh, wow. That, that's a great story. And um, it's, it's always really nice to hear how that people made that connection, how they went from looking for software engineering or looking for um, somewhere to learn coding to then finding launch school. Uh, everybody's story is very different. It's always really nice to hear. But I was also curious mm-hmm. as to know, how come boot camps, why weren't they a viable option for you? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And frankly, boot camps weren't too much of a viable option for me from the start. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just already skeptical of boot camps at first, just because of the time component of them, how they could promise things in right. four months, <laughs> six months. I understand that like transformation can happen quickly, but when it comes to learning something deeply, I knew there's something up with that. You're going to learn basically how to become a React developer or mm-hmm. le- learn some framework. And you know you, you might learn some more fundamental concepts, but your retention of those concepts and mm-hmm. your ability to apply them is going to be low. And I was just sort of aware, like I just knew myself, like I'm not going to be able to learn something in four months and suddenly yeah. become a very adequate software engineer. I might get an entry-level tech job, but I was wary of those too. I had used frameworks in the past. I learned mm-hmm. Vue and I was like, I don't, I, I don't know if that's really what I want to do. I didn't know if I just wanted to become like a Vue developer or React developer. And related to that is just the fact that like, yeah, boot camps just, you know, they're very, very, very industry focused. They're so focused on just like how to do things, but they're not focused on like the theory behind them and the, and the what and understanding those things. Like that's what really leads to like transferable skills. And, and you know, also launch schools, just learning model just seems so much better than most boot camps. Mm-hmm. I was already leaving a system that pretty trapping in the sense that like I couldn't, you know, independently structure my learning how I wanted to in terms of time. And I was already familiar with mastery-based learning, which launch school repeatedly emphasizes the importance of in the core curriculum. Yes. And it just didn't make sense to constrain myself with time limits that a boot camp would, you know, Mm. infringe upon me. You keep mentioning that college was a bit trapping. And I was just a bit curious about that because I would imagine that most students, at least even for me when I was in college, that you don't tend to think so much about the learning process or the, the teaching process. You just go through it. What made you then realize like, oh, this is a bit trapping for me? It was trapping academically because I had a pretty big course load and there were just so many classes at once that I felt like I had to, you know, give 
effort to everyone. Like you might have five mm-hmm. classes. I really enjoyed, like I said, like my intro to programming class. And I, yes. I actually liked reading the textbook yeah. for it. It was basically discussing a lot of foundational programming principles, like the importance of testing, stuff like that, and how to design your code in mm-hmm. an effective abstract way. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed like actually reading that textbook. But like what, what I mean by trapping is I literally just didn't have time to like read most of the textbook, even though I enjoyed it because I had to focus on so many other things. Launch tools yeah. a lot different like a focused curriculum, you know, everything builds upon itself. So college at the time just felt like it was just pulling me in too many directions and I couldn't really get focused on one thing, if that makes sense. So yeah, that's, that's primarily what I mean by, by trapping. Right. Right. I totally understand what you mean. And I guess that's why launch school is structured in the way that it is. It's because that they remove that fixed duration and they make you do one thing at a time. And that's what we mean by mastery, that you really get to hone in on that, just that one subject and master it. So thank you for elaborating on that. I actually wanted to also ask you, how did people react when you decided to leave college? And did you have any reservations prior to attending your school? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So some people reacted positively at first. A lot of my friends had just seen what I was like in high school. And like, I liked to learn independently. I feel like learning is a very independent thing and you have to structure mm-hmm. it to what works for you and your brain. I think it didn't surprise a lot of people. And a lot of people were like, yeah, this this is right for you. I, I'm not, I'm not surprised. And even my parents, you know, they sort of got it and they were aware that I was in a pretty tough situation at the time in college and it just wasn't working. They reacted positively in that way. However, of course, there's a lot of skepticism with like leaving a good program at a good university, you know, and I, it wasn't like I was doing terribly. So people were a bit questioning of that, which mm-hmm. also includes my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were pretty much convinced that I would go back to college. I would either go back to Northeastern or I would go somewhere else. And yeah, my, my roommate was the first person who reacted to my decision to leave college pretty shortly after I decided he heard. And I remember he was definitely quite skeptical of it. And I don't blame him. We were both doing computer science and he does understand some of the industry. And he was like, oh, like, I just don't think he wanted me to end up at some like lower level tech job wow. where like I didn't have a lot of room for growth. Sure. And yeah, he he was definitely a bit questioning, but you know, since I've talked to him and you know, we're on terms that like I probably made a good decision for myself. Yeah. <laughs> and with regards to reservations that I may have had before going into launch school, you know, I was pretty set on launch school mm-hmm. right from when I read their pages, but I did have some concerns just being degreeless. I didn't treat it as that much of a big deal, but I did wonder how I might be limiting myself and not getting a degree, whether I need one in the future. Like even some launch school alumni have a degree and I wonder like if that would help them in the job hunt a lot, even if that degree wasn't in software engineering. Now, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. I've looked at how the tech industry has changed, but still like I've had some concerns. Probably even bigger than that was whether like I'd still be able to develop socially learning how to grow if I wasn't in college, because I feel like that's like a big part of the pitch of college is that you're kind of transitioning into adulthood. But I have since found ways to replicate that transition. Hopefully I'm doing capstone. I might be living with my buddy at Tufts who is in college. Like you don't need to be in college necessarily to develop socially and in other ways. Like it's not the only option. (laughs) So yeah, I've actually had a pretty abundant social life since leaving college. Wonderful. 
<laughs> so yeah, I was a little bit worried about initially, at least I was worried about whether launch school would be enough mm-hmm. or whether I might need some like extra supplemental learning mm-hmm. outside of launch school, you know, just because I knew launch school wasn't very like math oriented, sure. you know, CS degrees are. Yes. Since then, I've I've realized that uh, honestly, launch school pretty much is enough for like what I'm trying to do, and launch school is actually more than enough in many areas. Like their their curriculum is super detailed. They know how to focus on the right stuff that really matters mm-hmm. as a software engineer, as somebody who's solving problems. Fantastic. <laughs> That's always a good thing. And you're right. You know, at the end of the day, if you ever wanted to continue your studies, you can always get a degree after launch school. Um, so it, it that is open to you. It always is. So right now you are over halfway through the core curriculum and you're doing extremely well from what I hear in assessments and projects, which is no small feat, by the way. In fact, just recently you shared with us a pretty impressive backend project that's gained a lot of attention. Could you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah. So that project, I ended up completing towards the end of 185. I began Mm -hmm. it in 175. But I'll describe the project at a high level first before I yes. go into some maybe some more specifics. But the story is I've been working as a landscaper for years and I've been into software engineering for a while. And my boss and I, we, we just like to discuss random ideas that come to our mind about you know, how we can make the company better, the landscaping so... industry better. And one thing we thought about is developing some sort of application that would serve as like an encyclopedia or interface to filter through a variety of plants because we're always working with lots of plant material on our properties, trying to find ones that fit certain requirements, like, you know, drought tolerant, sun amount, like sun versus shade, uh, fertility requirements, like all that sort of stuff. So that was sort of the motivation behind the application. Aside from the fact that like, there's just not a lot of software that was there to facilitate sharing ideas and like sharing plants. So like, it kind of made sense to build something where different users could have inventories and then could potentially share their inventories. Landscapers or nurseries could essentially share their plants with one another and list what they have in stock. It's really hard to actually get that information online. So that was sort of the idea behind the application. So in 175, I began to give it a go, which was like the network applications course. At that time, it was tough because you sort of want a database if you're dealing with like thousands and thousands of plants. Right. So like I kind of made it a little bit of a challenge to myself to see if I could implement it in a basic sense without using a database. So mm-hmm. I did that in 175. What I did was download a CSV from official plants database online yes. created by USDA. Yes. And ended up doing a lot of ugly CSV parsing and all that to help it work mm-hmm. with the application. Um, but yeah, it ended up it ended up going pretty well in 175. I didn't have the collaboration functionality of the application set up yet. Sure. Uh, and then in 185, you know, it's really I, I thought it was really nice that logical structures a curriculum this way because it allowed me to extend upon the project. And 185, you get into like databases and how to connect yes. them to your application. Yes. Um, so I was able to, you know, use a database to both store plants and also store users, store user inventories, all that sort of stuff, create, you know, like a, a good schema for that. And it was really fun to build. There's a lot of different features that I messed around with. I mean, it, it is like a CRUD app, which is mm-hmm. like create, read, update, delete, 
Mm -hmm. for those who aren't familiar. So like in that sense, it's kind of simplistic, but at the same time, I spent time to really flesh out like some features that you know not every CRUD app is going to have. And it didn't take super long to develop, which I really credit to a lot of the foundations I've built at Launch School. I mean, I, I was playing around with it. I was like, this is really good. <laughs> I was very impressed and I can see why so many people liked your project. It's just something I'd never seen before. It was quite um, polished as well. The fact that you added Bootstrap as the front end as yes. well. Very, very, very well done. I, yeah. And and just a side note, like I, I don't necessarily recommend that people for their projects, if they're in the back end, spend a lot of time on the front end. Like that's not really the purpose. Yeah. I just the bootstrap was just something I was somewhat familiar with and it was mm-hmm. easy for me to pick up. So it, it made sense for me to polish my app a little bit, but like that shouldn't be a requirement, you know, like for sure. when you're focused on the back end. Um, and yes. you shouldn't feel bad if your app doesn't look like super amazing. Yeah, for sure. I was actually going to ask you about that. So what what do you think that you've learned through launch school that's helped create an impressive project like that? Yeah, I mean, frankly, pretty much all of almost everything like in that application, you know, aside from maybe some of the stuff I did with Bootstrap and some a f- couple external libraries I used and some of the mm-hmm. CSV parsing, like it's all based on, you know, the fundamentals I really have learned in launch school. But like specifically, I'd say really understanding the request response model right. and how that, like, you know, that's that yes. uh, launch school heavily emphasizes that in the networking course and just learning how to like speak HTTP. So like mm-hmm. Sinatra, the framework we, we use is like for that application is a pretty bare bones framework. Yes. It doesn't abstract away a ton of what's going on underneath. Like you're still directly interacting with like get post requests. Those are like the building blocks of the web and mm-hmm. logical just like hammers that like mm-hmm. so hard. And just <laughs> you, you really understand like what you're actually doing when you're creating an application rather than just using a tool. You sort of get like what the tool's doing. Yes, um, absolutely. In this case, that tool was Sinatra. Yes. So that's one thing, like the networking piece of it. Also, just like how to organize the application. I've built a few applications in the past that are just really messy all over the place. Like if I look at them now, I have no clue what's going on. But just right. having a well-written app with like well-written variable names designed with like an object-oriented model that actually makes sense, you know, breaking it up into different files, you know, mm-hmm. laying out the database foundations first and then mm-hmm. building the application based on the scheme I create there, like all that stuff, like beforehand, like I messed around with like a little bit of web app development, like my apps would just be messy. But now like I could, I made this like two months ago, I could look back and still understand like all of the code and, you know, be able to reuse methods and stuff like that. So yeah, that helped a lot. And it just made the app development process pretty easy or, well, I wouldn't say, I I wouldn't say easy. It streamlined (laughs) it. You know, it didn't, it didn't make it like, I was able to reduce some of the cognitive load associated yes. with like, I don't know, trying to memorize a variable that's badly named or something. Yeah. So Absolutely. that those are two big things. One third thing though, that I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. So the problem solving from 101, which is like the first big course that you take at launch school, yes. that problem solving stuff really comes in handy. You're able to solve new things that like you haven't seen before using those skills. Yeah. Yeah. So like PDAC is sort of a framework for doing so. And mm-hmm. like in my applications, <laughs> I was dealing with a ton of different search filters and search parameters to search through the plants database. 
Mm-hmm. And there's something called like SQL injection, which is essentially injecting parameters into your SQL statements so that you yes. can customize them to query yes. the database properly. And uh, you have to do it in a safe way. So like mm-hmm. you can't just interpolate strings directly into it. You have to do it in a very safe way. I just wanted to bring up the problem solving stuff because I had to create these like very complex strings of yes. SQL that would safely be able to query the database and mm-hmm. interpolating all of those parameters in a safe way was like a very complex one-on-one problem. But I, I used PDAC directly for it. Like I have markdown files in my repo that like essentially just outline the whole PDAC process. So like that stuff from one-on-one will come back. Like, and that's like, and like, that was very gratifying. And I mean, that, that one problem ended up taking like 10 to 20% of the project. So that's awesome. And yeah, yeah if, if you want a more detailed view on how all of the courses essentially help you build this project, Jason, one of my buddies actually wrote a really good article that's published in Launch I believe, oh, about, yeah. like, about building a, an app in the midpoint of core and like how the fundamentals apply to building that app. Sure. Yeah, no, no, that's great. I'll actually link that in the show notes to this episode so everybody can have a look at that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I fully agree. Everything that you said about the fundamentals and how one builds on the other. And so when you get to more integrated classes, such as this one, the fundamentals are so strong that you're just able to solve problems by yourself and really, really tricky ones as well. And um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's one builds on the other. I've never seen a course be able to structure these things in the way that it does. So I fully understand what you mean. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I enjoyed it. So I don't know if we've already answered this question here, but um, even though you haven't yet finished the core curriculum, what are some of the skills that you can already say that you can walk away with? And I know you've already mentioned a bunch of them, but is there any anything else in particular that you'd like to add? Yeah. Another like general kind of meta skill I've developed is that of technical writing. Mm-hmm. In the written assessments, logical de- demands a pretty high level of precision Yes, when it comes to any of their assessments. So just it's not the assessments themselves that help me really develop it as much as the practice for them. Like just practicing writing out technical concepts in a fluent manner. And I've also spent some time writing a couple of technical articles and, and just honestly reading the launch school curriculum itself. It's written in a very clear and precise way. Mm -hmm. And on the same note, having technical discussions with others, writing's one thing, but speaking is another thing. I've recently worked with a few launch school students, really just discussing concepts and even going back with like, and discussing networking, being able to talk about those things in a way that makes sense is pretty invaluable. And then also launch school talks about this all the time too, just learning, learning how to learn again. Like launch school is a very unique opportunity in that you're not confined to a box of how to learn. You can Mm -hmm. spend the time that you need to really learn how to learn. And that's like a meta skill that is like super valuable because the economy, especially the tech economy today, depends on your ability to continually learn. So like more specifically learning how to learn languages and understanding the fundamental concepts that you need to focus on whether it be scope or typing or different data, data types in the language, mm-hmm. how functions or methods work, how object-oriented programming presents itself in that language. Those stuff, logical, like focuses on the mental models aspect of it so that you're not yes. so tied down to a particular language. They're, they're just stuff that you develop by through repetition and, and deliberate practice. 
And this is the beauty of the school being created by engineers that have been in the industry for many, many, many years yes. and that they know the practice, they know what's needed and they know about the things that don't change. And it's just about bringing that knowledge to students and, and just putting it right in front of them so that they're able to understand like, oh, right, I need this in the industry. So you brought up some really, really great points there. And thank you for that. Thank you. So last but not least, do you have any advice for students that have just begun either the prep courses or the core curriculum just to help them create the kind of successes that you've already achieved at long school? So say that how to do well, maybe even in assessments and and also the kind of projects. I, I know that, for example, maybe not everybody has as much experience or prior knowledge as you do, but do you have any advice about that? Yeah, I could give some like general launch school advice. Sure. Um, and I do want to preface it with the fact that what works for me might not work for others. Like mm-hmm. I have one buddy who I'm working with today who was in 101, like then he ended up passing the 109 assessment after a while and just like really getting good at the fundamentals, developing that technical mindset. Now him and I work together. Like we've been moving along at the same pace. I moved through wow. 101, 101 quite quickly, but like once you get over some of those initial hurdles, your growth can be exponential from there. Right, so right. there's that. Another thing is uh, practicing technical writing. You'll get plenty of that preparing for the assessments, but I think even not everybody has to do this, but maybe write some articles, even if they're for yourself and you mm. don't publish them or just practicing summarizing in your notes, getting a really good grasp on writing things essentially forces you to make sure that you understood it before moving on. Because if you can't really yes. write about it, probably don't really understand it. Yes. I'd also spend some time not just reading like the logical core curriculum, but like reading code. That's something like I don't really love to do. Like I don't love to read code, but it's Mm -hmm. very important in the industry. Like a lot of what you're most likely to be doing is reading code. And in launch school, like they give you opportunities to do it. For example, like looking at other solution posts, I try to spend some time reading other solution posts and then you can kind of in your head compare your solutions to that. So that's helpful. And then taking advantage of uh, circular learning, Mm. just having some way to go back. Like this curriculum is like all based on fundamentals that are going to last most likely throughout your career. Mm -hmm. So like having some way you do circular learning, like for me, it's, I use spaced repetition with flashcards, like Anki is a popular program, but it doesn't have to be that formal. It could just be like like what I do with like one-on-ones with other people and discussing previous concepts with people who are previously in the curriculum, like taking advantage of the community is a great way to do circular learning. There's spot sessions, maybe going back, retaking quizzes that you previously did, just some way to do that. Another thing I want to bring up is the idea of comparing yourself to others. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. I won't get yeah. too into it. I think Felicia did like a video about mm-hmm. like compare yourself to others mm-hmm. and how it's 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 a little actually tough at launch school because even though you're not really comparing your grades to others, you're comparing your pace and your speed to others. Yes. Now, I'm not going to argue that there's never a time for comparing yourself to others. I think it can be potentially valuable. Maybe you find yourself going down rabbit holes and others aren't. Maybe that's like a good comparison or you look at somebody else's code base and you see it's organized in a good way and you look at yours and it's not quite like you can use those comparisons in a valuable way, Mm. but it's also very important to recognize like this is a very individual learning process. What's going to get you stuck is not necessarily going to be the same as what gets other people stuck. There's just too many factors 
and variables to try and compare yourself to others and be like, I should be on the same pace as somebody else. Or so I, I find myself doing that a lot, but like, I just try to be mindful of when I'm doing that and, you know, provide like myself with like a more objective analysis of that comparison rather than just letting my emotions overtake me. Mm. This is very general advice again, but you have to prioritize logical. If you're going to be in law school, maybe there's a few people who don't have to make it like a big priority in their life, but you're going to get so much more out of it. If you just like put it first or at least like second or third, like like put it up there on your prioritization structure, whatever that is. Like for me, like there's all my friends are back from college right now. And like, they're always asking me to do stuff. So like Instead of going out like four nights a week with them, maybe it's like one or two or something. I, I know yeah. not everybody's in that situation, but the best you can, like just try to fit launch school in and really prioritize like deeply focusing. And yeah, and just reflecting on the process as you go. Like I like to journal and just r- writing about it. Actually, one thing that I think has helped immensely, one of my buddies, Ryan, we have a spreadsheet that every night we check in on and That's discuss so cool. essentially how our day at launch school went. Like we, you know, have little boxes, we fill in the hours, we study. We've been doing this for like three months and we like rarely miss a night, but wow. like, it's just a way to like, it's just the process of reflecting on it is helpful. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't get annoyed at myself if I only studied an hour that day. Like, mm. it's not that it's just about like being intentional yeah. about like where I'm placing my time. And yes. uh, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, generally that's, I mean, there's so much advice I could give. I mean, stuff just like you know, not going off and trying to do a million side projects. That's another mm-hmm. thing, like focusing mm-hmm. on the right projects. You yeah. don't want to go on too many tangents because law school knows what's most important. Like th- that's the, the final thing I'll bring up is software engineering is a huge industry and there's so much you could dabble in. There's mm-hmm. so much, mm-hmm. but like you can't adopt like an any benefit approach. Like anything you learn might have some benefit. Like you could, I don't yeah. know, like you could learn some like new JavaScript framework that just came out and like that might have some benefit. But launch school, I think their thing is they're focusing on what has the most benefit. So like trust what's the most valuable. Of course, you know, you want to be unique and like, if you want to take a few tangents and specialize in something, whatever, but like try to focus on what's going to be most valuable. Yes. A hundred percent agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry that that was quite long. I just, I have a lot to say. And I mean, it's just, I think about it a lot, like really enjoyed the past, uh, Oh, it's getting close to a year now. Uh, yeah. Like eight, eight months I've been at law school. So, I mean, no, I, I really, really appreciate you being able to outline so many different advice. It's so great because you found all these different ways to keep yourself accountable. And I just love that. I just love how, because this is a self paced course, people do kind of have to think of how am I going to keep myself accountable during this time? Because you're right, you can go off on many different tangents. And there's so many things that you can gain from just looking at an article. And then before you know it, you've just been reading that article and gone down the yeah. many <laughs> Yep. <laughs> like I, that's why like I bring up life stuff in this because I mean, like managing your life is yeah. just as important as, you know, learning the curriculum when it comes to learning the curriculum well and becoming a good software engineer. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I agree. And I would just consider this framework to be something to anchor, anchor yourself back to. So say, you know, you want to go off on a little tender, that's fine. Just to sort of pull yourself back and remind yourself that this is the framework and just to let it help you structure how you want to study or how you're going to study. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, 100%. 
Thank you so much for coming on and and having a chat here about the projects that you worked on that was very impressive, but also everything else that you've done at Launch School. And you've brought up some really great advice. And just, just being able to share your story and share your journey and how you got here has been really valuable. So thank you, Ethan. Yeah, thank you so much, Karis. And um, thanks for continuing the podcast and being the host because I, <laughs> like I said, like I've listened to like pretty much every episode and I find it a very valuable part mm. of launch school and, you know, brings a sense of community, especially for those people, you know, might not always be on Slack and whatever. Absolutely. Uh, just, you know, I, I really enjoy it. Okay, great. <laughs> well, you have a good evening. Awesome. Thanks. Our next guest, Tyler, is 15 years old, who began launch school at just 13. As the youngest student who has ever attended launch school, he's done extremely well during his time here, including working as an intern for launch school. Nice. Today, we'll be discussing why Tyler made the decision to join launch school during his high school studies and all the doors it has opened for him. Hi, Tyler. How are you? Good. Thank you. Nice to have you with us. So, My first question is, what originally drew you to software engineering? Well, I started learning about programming before I actually knew what a software engineer was. I started Mm -hmm. with code.org and worked my way up through progressively more difficult resources. Um, And eventually, I got to the point where I wanted to go deeper into programming and really establish myself in the foundations um, of programming languages. And my dad recommended me the prep courses for the Launch School's core curriculum. and I started working on those and after I finished them and found that I actually could learn the material and could understand it, I found that I really enjoyed it and I ended up going on to start the courses. And it wasn't until I was in the core curriculum that I began to think of software engineering as a career path that I could take. And I really, that, that's where I started to see myself as becoming a software engineer in the future. Right. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I, I really appreciate you being able to sort of walk through your path to explain what software engineering is to you and that it could become a, a viable career for you. I think you did answer this, but I thought I'd ask you anyway. You started launch school during your eighth grade of high school. Would you be able to walk us through exactly how you found us or was that just through with with talking to your dad about it? Yeah. So my dad, he was the one who recommended the prep courses to me. And at that point, I still didn't know if launch school was for me. At first, I just wanted to try the prep courses to see if I could handle the adult material. So it started there. And when I found that I could understand the advanced material and work at my own pace because launch school is independently paced, which was great for me because I didn't know if I was necessarily going to be able to keep up with um, the other people in the group who are much older than me or in like my class, if you will. And it wasn't until I'd started the pro courses that I realized that I could do the core curriculum and I just kept going. Okay. Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. So though you were still in high school, what made you decide that you were going to study at launch school alongside your high school studies? Mm. Well, because it was independently paced, I felt like I would be able to pace myself on my own terms. So if I needed to spend more time on classes at a certain point and less time on launch school, I could do that. Or if at a certain point, my regular studies were going a bit slower, I could ramp up on launch school. Mm -hmm. And I thought that having that flexibility would allow me to work with the core curriculum and do launch school. Yeah. Yeah. I I understand that. That makes sense. And that's very true. One of the perks about being 
online school that's independently paces that you can go at any rate that you want and ramp up when you need to and slow down when you when you have to. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, most launch school students are adult learners. Did you have any concerns about being a younger student? And uh, was there anything that you did to overcome that? Well, t- to overcome it, I I spent like more time on certain sections. There were definitely points where I felt like I needed to spend more time where other people may have already been acclimated to that level of rigor because they'd already gone through college or high school. And yeah, there were definitely some points like that in the beginning. Although I think I did acclimate during the rest of the course. Right, right. But for, for the most part, because of the flexibility and the fact that I could independently pace myself, I felt pretty comfortable that as long as I kept moving, I would still be getting a lot out of the course. Sure, sure. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you uh, sort of expanding on that. So you finished the core curriculum not too long ago. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) I hear it's helped you a great deal with your AP computer science course. From what I know, they actually can be pretty difficult. So could you, if you like, tell us a little bit more about it and how your time at launch school has helped you out with these classes? Sure. In the case of AP computer science, I think that Launch School actually covers, if if I remember correctly, most of the topics in AP Computer Science are covered by Launch School in the first two or three courses, which I found really cool because I needed to apply those concepts to a new programming language, Java, and acclimate to things like compilers. But for the most part, a lot of the concepts were interchangeable. Right, right. Um, But beyond AP Computer Science, I was able to apply the skill of creating mental models. So like being exposed to a new paradigm and being able to figure out what the key ideas are and work my way around a new model. I think this, the skills I learned from law school there were very applicable to other science classes as well. I appreciate you expanding on the AP computer science course and how that has made that helpful and easier for you. So when you would go to these classes after you took the courses at launch school, did it help you in your day-to-day with computer science course with the AP one? It definitely did because I'd seen those concepts before. And so I think when I would, you know, be re-exposed to them, I could like help out my peers if I saw that they were struggling because I'd kind of seen it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it would kind of ring a bell in my head and I'd be able to like reapply the concept I had already seen to a new programming paradigm like Java. And um, it was really great to have that experience. Yeah. Right. But Launch School doesn't teach Java. So how were you able to sort of make that transition? Well, I think that one thing Launch School does focus on is the basics that underlie all programming languages. And I really appreciated that about them because after getting out of the core curriculum, I went on to do a variety of different languages, but because Launch School had spent so much time focusing on the fundamentals, by spending time with documentation and reading books, I could see a lot of patterns in the languages. And mm-hmm. I thought it was very helpful instead of just focusing on the syntax of one language, really understanding what underlied the language at Launch School. And applying those fundamentals allowed me to learn new programming languages like Java. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I I totally understand that. And having gone through the core curriculum myself, I I have been able to see those patterns myself. So I appreciate you sharing that insight. So you are currently interning at Launch School, and that is really awesome. What are you working on right now? Are you allowed to say? I am. Right now, I'm working on a organizational tool 
if you will, for Uh staff. And it's been really great interacting with staff and asking them what they'd like to see, especially since many of these staff helped me while I was going through the core curriculum. And so it's been great to feel like I'm giving back. Yeah. Wow. That that sounds awesome. It's like coming full circle. That that is really, really cool. So have you used uh, any particular software or programming languages to build this platform? Yes. So I needed to learn Rails. The logical curriculum itself focuses much more on the fundamentals that build up a bunch of different pieces. Like they focus on databases with SQL and the fundamentals that underlie programming languages. And because I had seen all these pieces, but hadn't had them all brought together, when I started learning about Rails, many of those concepts were then very applicable. And I was able to ramp up on Rails pretty quickly and was then able to work on a very large project with a lot of controllers and models. Wow! And I thought I was, I was very surprised at how quickly I was able to pick up on Rails because of the fundamentals I learned from Launch School. Wow, that is so cool. And I mean, just being able to, to hear that from you, because a lot of students, their creative transition is they're new to programming when going through launch school, and they, they don't always get to hear or get to see how all these fundamentals come together. So just hearing your story and, and that feedback with you interning here makes so much sense. And it brings to light a lot of what we're doing here um, when we're studying. So thank you for sharing. So did you have to learn anything new aside from Rails or to do the kind of intern work that you're doing at launch school? Well, one other thing I did have to do that I've never really been a part of is a Git workflow, which is basically where you have to think about when you're building features, other people are building features as well. And being able to interact with other people on a Git code base, um, I had to learn that. That was definitely a skill. And also working with other people and oh. talking through ideas like about features that we're building was another thing I had to learn how to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that is a huge part of programming is the teamwork, the communication workflow. So imagining the, the Git and GitHub book and, and learning all those things that you did during the core curriculum and the prep courses would have helped you with Git and the workflow? Yeah, it did. Yeah. I think another thing that w- that was great that the core curriculum provided was code reviews, which I've now seen again. Oh. Um, by having those code reviews, I, I'd seen them already from the launch school curriculum. And so when they now reappeared, now I'm being code reviewed again. That's something that I think is done on a lot of programming projects is code reviews. And so I think it was really great that launch school exposed me to that while I was going through the core curriculum. So I'd already yeah. seen it already. Yeah. I mean, yeah, great point. For those that are new to programming, that are going through the curriculum, they might know, I wonder why, why am I getting code reviews? And it's for this specific reason. It helps so much at this phase when you are in a team and you are doing Git workflow and that feedback. Fantastic. So looking back on all your time at launch school, including your internship, what are some of the skills that you've walked away with? Well, like I mentioned before, I think for many of the AP science classes, being able to build strong mental models for pretty abstract concepts is definitely something I learned from launch school. Another key thing I learned from launch school is being able to problem solve, Mm -hmm. which is where you you break down a problem into pieces, you recognize a pattern, and then you apply tactics as necessary. And the PDAC process is really good at explaining that. I think being exposed to problem solving with programming problems was really great for me. And I've been able to apply that to many more classes in high school, um, especially in math. Oh, yes. I mean, there is definitely lots of crossover with math and programming and problem solving. That's, That's a great point as well. I appreciate you sharing that with us. So 
Last question that I have for you is, do you have any advice for students that have just begun the prep courses or core curriculum just to help them create the kind of successes that you've already achieved here at Launch School? I think working with the prep courses to start is great, but Mm -hmm. I think before you start the core curriculum, it's very important to know that this is something you really, or at least really feel that it's something you want to put a lot of time into. You have to really want to learn about programming. I think you need to enjoy it as well. Another important thing to know before doing the core curriculum is to see if you can find the time to do it. And so, you know, if you can break that up over a long period of time, that can work. But I think making sure you have a plan for how you want to space out or how you want to pace yourself as you go through the core curriculum. I think thinking about that's very important. Yeah, yeah. Pacing is is definitely really important. And I appreciate you bringing that up. And also the idea of what you said before with prep courses, that making sure that you want to do this. And I think that's why they specify that in the pedagogy. They talk about the exploratory phase and, and making sure that you know and have a play and see if it, if programming is right for you. I think the prep courses invite you to do that, especially I believe there's some Code Academy that you could also do alongside it to supplement some of the materials. So Yeah, I really agree. I fully agree with all of that. Well, thank you so much, Shiloh, for coming on to the interview to to talk with us today. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we head out? Sure. Um, You know, the core curriculum, there is so much that I've gotten from it. And I don't think I really fully understand how much I got from it because I've spent, I think I've spent almost 13% of my life (laughs) or so in, in the core curriculum. And so I've had so many impacts in my life from it, you know, but beyond just learning the fundamentals of programming, I've learned about problem solving. I learned about building up the models. Um, I was able to ramp up on a level of rigor that's definitely needed in a professional environment. And I think it's been pretty amazing being able to do it at such a young age. Yeah. Oh, oh great. I, I really look forward to all the successes and to hear your story in the future of, of your journey. So thank you again for coming on. And I will talk to you later. Okay. Thank you. It was so great talking to Ethan and Tyler. They had some really interesting insights to share about their journey through Launch School. And last but not least, here are some quick reminders about the latest events at Launch School. So first off, we've added some extra practice problems to prepare for the JS109 and RB109 interview. If you're preparing for those, you'll definitely want to have a look at these. There's also some additional practice problems added to the JS210 course too, so be on the lookout for those as well if you're in that course. And good news Cloud9 students! The Cloud9 support group is a brand new Slack channel. This is a peer-led group similar to the spot that encourages students to help each other out with Cloud9 setup and other issues you may encounter during your time at launch school. Feel free to check it out if Cloud9 is your primary IDE. The next Launch School Women's Group is on August 7th, open to all women and non-binary folks. So if this is you listening, please come along. And do you want to be a TA? Let us know. If you're a Launch School student who's interested in giving back to the community and has completed course 139 and above, don't be afraid to reach out and apply. We have some recent amazing student projects built by Jason, Ethan, Ricky, and Zach as part of courses 175 and 185. These are really impressive, so be sure to check them out. And Student Rich has just written an excellent article called What Century is After Midnight that provides an insightful breakdown on the kind of mindset you need to approach solving a problem. I really enjoyed this read. And that's it from me. 
Everything mentioned here today can be found in the show notes on podcast.launchschool.com. And if you have an idea for an interview or anything podcast related, you can reach out to us at our URL, launchschool.com forward slash podcast hyphen requests.